thank you thank you so much guys for your love and support i wish you all a very happy new year we are entering into 2023 and i pray that each of you all entrepreneurs or employees or if you're working somewhere i wish you all humongous humongous amount of success uh, please continue the grind put in all the efforts and hard work i'm sure success is right around the corner if you're enjoying success i pray uh, that you know you continue to enjoy that success uh, for the rest of this year you know 2023 is going to be a blast so i want to welcome you all to the brand identity design business podcast uh, it's our business podcast is on the top 30% of the most followed business podcast globally by a lot of people i'm sure i'm doing something right that's why people are following it i'm your host jason i am a brand identity designer that's why the name of the show is brand identity design i build corporate identities for a living january 2023 i'm aiming to actually do a few projects if you are an entrepreneur and if you're not competing on price uh, you know please reach out to me i should be able to help you in building an awesome uh, visual identity for your company so that you can stand out now let me actually give you the purpose of the show and what you are currently calling this series so the current series which i'm following from the past few seasons it's called as the dark side of entrepreneurship i know when you hear it there is like a negative connotation to it but the aim of the show is to actually educate entrepreneurs about business share interesting ideas recommend strategies on how to deal with adversities while you manage and run your business and i do this by interviewing high level business executives who are willing to share not only their pers- personal but also their professional experiences with my listeners now i can assure you this would not be just another boring business talk show like which you regularly hear on news and radio we will be injecting a healthy dose of humor and personality to the mix and while you learn about entrepreneurship so if you are at home work Uh, if you're driving sit back relax if you're driving pay attention to the road please get ready to laugh and learn with us now today we have an, a very very interesting guest this is an exclusive interview uh, you know this guest his name is mr tom dusenberry founder of dusenberry entertainment and we are going to be speaking about the business of games now i have i've seen and i have noticed a lot of parents you know who criticize about games the gaming industry and the effect games have on people we want to actually demystify demystify a lot of those myths and help to educate uh, entrepreneurs and even parents as to why this industry is really helping how it's helping what is the purpose of this industry give give you guys an overview and and what i have also understood from from mr dusenberry is that Uh, games and game mechanics also help businesses develop a deeper customer relationship builds loyalty and brings people together now now let me give you a heads up on who mr dusenberry is as you already know he is the founder and ceo of dusenberry entertainment uh, but he has over 30 years of experience with parker brother games Hasbro Interactive he has served as a CEO of Hasbro Interactive Atari and games.com for many years Tom has gained extensive digital game entrepreneurial experience while managing his own company Dusenberry Entertainment 
Tom is also Tom is the most close associated with popular games including Monopoly, uh, Scrabble, Nerf, Tonka, Star Wars, Frogger, Wheel of Fortune, NASCAR, Roller Coaster Tycoon. Tom was also on the founding team members of the popular game McDonald's Monopoly promotion and he also uh, founded the license scratch off lottery ticket uh, with Monopoly and the Massachusetts State Lottery. A lot of things, uh, you know, with Tom has accomplished. Dusenberry Entertainment has active clients in the musical content area, kids social website, Unity Games development for mobile and Facebook, and gamification program for health and wellness industry. He has also worked with uh, a lot of other clients, other brands as well, such as Mattel, Disney, Lucas, Marvel, uh, Warner Brothers, Comcast, Sony, Microsoft, Universal Studios, Nickelodeon, PlayStation, Xbox. The list goes on and on. So we are such an influential person on stage. Welcome, Mr. Dusenberry, to the Brand Identity Design Podcast. And I have this small sound effect. It's a little retro, and I wanted to give it like this gaming vibe to it. Thank you. <laughs> so you have to unmute. I'm so sorry. I did put you on mute while I was actually starting the recording. Go ahead, Mr. Dusenberry. All right. A little technical challenges there. Mr. Dusenberry, you have to unmute yourself while you're actually trying to just sort that out. Uh, I wanted to actually start off with the interview. I have a few questions which I which I w would like to ask you. Just let me know when you're ready. I don't... Go ahead. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. All right. All right. I want to give, quickly give a shout out to Natasha and Jen from Clubhouse. Thank you so much for joining. I want to also give a shout out to Simon and Sarah, uh, who are regular followers of the show. So thank you so much for being here and supporting us. So my first question to you, because before we get into tactics you know, and strategies and all those interesting stuff. I want to understand who is the person behind the microphone. So would you mind, you know, helping our audience understand uh, by, by giving us insights about your childhood? What was it growing up? What inspired you to get into games? You know, and you had like an extensive journey from Parker Brothers to Hasbro and eventually you started your own business, your own company, uh, which publishes and produces games. So this is very exciting. And not only that, you know, when I was just researching a little more, Hasbro Interactive, you were able to have like a 577% increase in revenue from 1996 to 1997. So it started off like 35 million and you were able to bump it up to 196 within your, you know, while you were in the leadership position. So help us understand, you know, what put you onto the, the whole gaming arena. Sure. Well, thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. And it's an honor to speak with each of you today. Uh, my background really is, is that uh, I was uh, born and raised in the Midwest, primarily Des Moines, Iowa. Both of my parents came from farms and they wanted to get away from the farm and come to the big city. So they came to Des Moines, Iowa. And that's where I began my life. And uh, I had a really good upbringing. Uh, my family was very well balanced. We had a, a great time uh, going through all the different experiences of life. And when I was uh, going, I always enjoyed playing games. I would play Monopoly and I would play Risk and I loved to play poker. So it was kind of ingrained in me that I really enjoyed uh, the 
thrill and the excitement of what games were all about. And interestingly enough, for me, uh, when everybody else went off to college, I didn't get that opportunity and I needed to go to work. And I found that Parker Brother Games had a manufacturing facility in Des Moines and I went out and I got a job. So I'm unique in the game industry from a point of view that I actually started on the loading dock of Parker Brother Games and 22 years later was the CEO. So I had a great opportunity to learn from the very ground up all the way through the entire experience of what games were all about. And uh, so that's kind of like the overview of what my, my, myself is all about. I happen to be uh, married. I've got two children uh, and a dog, and uh, you know that's all very important part of my life. So I really, you know, try to stress work-life balance and everything that I do. And uh, as it relates to my career, you know, I started at Parker Brother Games in Des Moines, and uh, quickly realized that uh, for me to be able to be successful, I had to get to the heart of the company, and that was in the game part of the business. So I transferred out of manufacturing and I moved into sales and I had a good experience in sales and that allowed me then to transfer over into marketing. And I had a great experience in marketing where I was able to do international business and I did advertising and I built out all these licensing businesses. And that then gave me the opportunity when Hasbro came and purchased Parker Brothers in 1991 for me to transfer out of marketing and transfer into innovation and I became the head of inventor relations for Parker Brother Games. And Jason, that's really where my career really took off because I think I found that I was a good, uh, I, I could identify innovation from a game point of view and really separate out what could work and what couldn't work. And I was also a good deal maker. So I was able to get the inventors to be in the right position to where they would benefit and I would benefit as well. And I got the inventor community to be highly motivated and committed to helping Parker Brothers I have the best product in the marketplace. The uh, clearly corporate, you know, Hasbro saw that and Alan Hassenfeld in particular saw it and asked me to join with him to try to find innovation for the broader Hasbro company instead of just with Parker Brothers. And at that stage, I went back to Alan and I said, what I really think we should do is we should be pursuing interactive entertainment because that's the future of this industry. And that really created Hasbro Interactive. So from 1995 until 2001, I was the founder and the CEO of Hasbro Interactive. And that was an experience of um, great creativity, great innovation, and fast, fast growth. And I'm really proud of all the products that and the games that we brought out of the marketplace, but what I'm most proud of is the people. And the people that worked at Parker Brothers, or excuse me, at Hasbro Interactive are now the people that are running most of the industry now. And uh, so I really feel fortunate that we had the opportunity to work with and to hire and to collaborate with some of the greatest talent the industry's ever seen. And that continues to perpetuate itself 20 years later. In uh, 2001, Hasbro decided to go back to basics or back to its toy business and asked me to sell my company. So I sold Hasbro Interactive to a French company called Pentelgram, and that created an opportunity for me to become an entrepreneur. So from 2001 till today, I've been running Duesenberry Entertainment where I've stayed in my lane and I've stayed highly focused in the game market. But within that, I've built mobile game companies. I've worked on augmented reality. Uh, I'm working on mobile console games and everything involved in the game industry uh, from uh, you know, the industry perspective. 
And so the way I look at the last 20 years is the first 10 years was highly focused on mobile entertainment, where I built and sold four mobile game companies. And the last 10 years have been really focused on licensing and extending license opportunities into the marketplace. So that's where I am today is that, uh, you know, Duesenberry Entertainment uh, is uh, just had one of its best years ever in 2023. And what I'm doing is I'm working with and collaborating with developers and innovators. And then we take the, the product that we develop and then we find homes with it with big corporations or, you know, places that would be able to market the product and successfully monetize it for us. That is super cool, Mr. Dusenberry. It's such a, a long journey. And I am really curious to know when you said that Hasbro was purchased, Hasbro purchased Parker Brothers in 1991. And you said that at that moment, you said you were as a part of the investor relation team, but you recommended uh, that we should get into the interactive entertainment business. So what, uh, you know, how did you come to a realization that interactive games are the way to go? That's the future. How did you realize that? You know, did you were you researching anything by yourself? Is that a pattern or a trend which you observed in the gaming sector? How did you arrive to that conclusion? I think uh, I think it, it 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 has to be in your heart, and that is that you really have to believe in in something that you believe in the future. And for me, Jason, you know, the, the journey of the of of the game industry has been amazing. When I first started in the game industry, it was a fifty million dollar global business. I mean, it was it was a rounding error. Today, it's a two hundred billion dollar industry. So, a part of my success, I believe, has been in the fact that I was able to pick games, and it's gone through this massive growth experience every single year that I've been involved in. And, and what I mean by that is, is, and the reason that I did the, to answer your question is, is that Parker Brothers was always interested in growth. And so when we moved out of the board game business and moved into electronics, we did electronic handheld products. And not only was it a change from a gameplay point of view, but imagine you have games that you're selling for $4.99, and now all of a sudden you're selling something for $19.99. The difference in just in impact was huge. And I, and I started to recognize that people would pay more money for a better experience and a more digital experience. From that then came the Atari era. And the Atari era was amazing from a Parker Brother point of view because we were the number one third party publisher of all the publishers. We were bigger than Activision, bigger than EA. And the reason for that was, was that we had Frogger, Hubert, Popeye, Star Wars, all of the great games were coming out of Parker Brothers. But as we all know, unfortunately, has, uh, Atari came and it went, and it also had one of the greatest disasters of all time from a point of view of collapse. And I think I learned a lot during that period of time as well. So, I mean, the, all these things are learning experiences for me. Out of the ashes of Atari came Nintendo and Sega. And I followed those businesses as closely as I could and tried to put content into those businesses as much as I could. But Parker Brothers wasn't as committed as I was to that business. So when Parker Brothers was purchased by Hasbro, I was responsible for innovation and I was bringing a lot of electronics and a lot of new innovation to the marketplace. And from that, I was looking at lots of different trends. And in 1995, my boss at the time and I went out to E3, which was the very first time that that show had ever taken place. 
And hey, Jason, I was so excited and I was so thrilled that I just, I was busting at the seam with seeing all the innovation and all the growth. And my boss came back to a corporate and he said, Tom Dusenberry should be the guy that should run our interactive entertainment business. And from that point forward, it was like amazing because the entire company of Hasbro coalesced behind me to let me become the head of, of Hasbro Interactive. So from that, you know, all of a sudden now I've got this interactive business and I wanted to grow from it. And to me, the core was really the internet. So the first thing we did is we went out and actually acquired the name games.com for $35 to be able to start the games.com the games type business. So out of that period of time, which was six years, you know, we went, as you said, from really a business plan to over $200 million in revenues. And during that time, we created great products such as Star Wars, such as Frogger, such as Roller Coaster Tycoon. But equally important, it was content was king, and that's what I was focused on. So we were able to go out and we acquired Microprose and Spectrum Holobyte. We went out and we bought Atari. And most importantly, we went out and we bought Wizards of the Coast. We were able to get Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons. And to me, I felt that that was the cornerstone of what the future of the business would be because of the deep, immersive storytelling and great characters that those games had. I thought those would be the future of the industry. And so that's what we were really going after. And that's what became you know, the, the future of Hasbro down the road was those products. So it, it was quite a journey. From that, you know, once has, after Hasbro Interactive uh, was, uh, you know, I sold Hasbro Interactive, I just continued that strategy and to continue on market trends. Where were the market trends and where were the opportunities to apply game content to them to deliver hits in the marketplace? Oh, absolutely. You know, I appreciate you giving us clarity on what's happening. And, and I'm so thrilled, so excited to hear this backstory about acquisitions, mergers, and, and what arise, you know, how Atari came into picture, how N Nintendo came into picture, story about Sega. I appreciate you sharing all of this. I want to ensure that the audio quality is still all right. So, uh, you know, guys, if you're on LinkedIn or Clubhouse, if you're able to hear Mr. Dusenberry loud and clear, please share the thumbs up emoji right now. I just want to make sure because I was hearing a little muffled sound. So, Natasha, Jen, you know, are you guys able to hear uh, Mr. Dusenberry loud and clear? Please give me a thumbs up emoji. All right. All right. So so I think the audio is clear. So let's actually proceed. So guys, you know, just in case if you heard about E3 and you might be wondering what E3 is, uh, E3 is Electronic Entertainment Expo, which happens in L.A. Convention Center. Go ahead, Mr. Dusenberry, if you'd like to share a bit about E3. Sure. Yeah, uh, it, it's to talk more generally to talk about trade shows in the game industry. Uh, the game industry always started with Toy Fair, and that continues to exist. But before we had E3, the game companies such as Nintendo and Sega would go to the Consumer Electronics Show, which is being held in Las Vegas right now. And what happened was was that although it was a great show, the timing wasn't quite right, and our industry had gotten so big, it kind of needed its own industry. So what we did as an industry is we decided to become our own trade show. And that was the electronic entertainment show, which is called E3. And what was phenomenal about E3 was the fact that all it did was focus on interactive games. So whether it was PC games, whether it was video games, whether it was mobile games, they were all focused in one area. 
And amazingly, you know, with the LA Convention Center, we were able to bring 40, 50, 60,000 people together over a three-day period of time to celebrate games. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a great experience for us because that's where all the retailers came, that's where all the licensors came, and that's where all the manufacturers were to be able to do business and to be able to compare. And uh, what has happened since then is, is that E3 continues to exist and it's primarily like a publisher show. But now what has, has happened is, is that we have the Game Developer Conference. And that is a, a trade show that is as big as E3, but it is focused on content game development versus E3, which is focused on game publishing and consumer relations and public relations and all those types of activities. Thank you so much for giving us more clarity on this, Mr. Dusenberry. Let's actually, you know, expand our conversation and go a little further. I see a lot of parents, you know, having issues with games in general. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I would, I would highly recommend you guys to listen to the conversation and you determine, you know, what's good, what's bad. So could you demystify some of uh, the myths, you know, this negative connotation which people have, like for an example, extended hours of gameplay affect people, you know, children's vision, violent games drive violent behavior among teenagers. Some parents also say games can affect a child's social skill. And these are concerns which even including myself, I'm also worried about. I'm not into games, but you know, I, you know, I'm also concerned. So could you help our listeners demystify these myths or maybe put light on it, educate my listeners why gaming is not that harmful as it seems? Maybe you can share some pros and cons. Yeah. So, so, so first of all, uh, you know, I understand the uh, hesitancy towards games because, you know, compared to reading a book or going outside, that's what we always hear is why do we have to be people to play games? And it, to me, it's just an alternative. So the first thing I would say is, is that there's a time and a place for everything. And the games is no different. So if, if your child is playing 16 hours of games every day, there's probably a problem. But on the other hand, if your child is doing its homework, they're doing their sports after school, and they're getting in some gaming time, it can be a really, really good experience. So, you know, to me, it's partially responsible for the player to be able to kind of manage itself, but the parent has to manage themselves as well as it relates to what type of gameplay and how much they play. Uh, it, it has to be regulated from the parental point of view. And, you know, when it comes right down to it, there, although, you know, there are issues as it relates to uh, longevity and people going into uh, spending too much time in a, in a certain game, the vast vast, vast majority of people that play games do it purely for the entertainment value that they get out of it. And there's no, uh, there's no repercussions associated with it. Thank you so much for clarifying and explaining that because there's a time and place for everything, guys. Anything in excess, uh, you know, can be a problem. So I appreciate you sharing that. Now, based on my research uh, before uh, this interview, the global gaming market size, as Mr. Dusenberry correctly said, it's around 202 
uh, 0.7 billion dollars as of 2022 and imarc group experts state that the market is expected to reach to 343.6 billion by 2028 uh, we are expecting a compound annual growth rate of around 9.8% between 2023 to 2028 so i want to you to you know backtrack on the history of games because you highlighted in your bio that there was something exponential which happened back in 1973 so could you take our audience back to that golden era and and help us understand what made uh, you know this this era you know like the golden era of gaming and why it is so important yeah sure so you know if you think about games uh for the history you know they've been around forever i mean card games have been being played forever board games such as uh, uh chess and checkers have been around forever so so games have been a part of society for many many generations but what began to happen and the reason i was hired into the game industry was was that games was going beyond 2d flat dimensional cards or cardboard and for the first time plastic was being introduced into the marketplace and that was the first really game platform transition that happened in in the market and what plastics really represented was a chance for three dimensions for being able to bring characters to the game being able to bring more personality to the game and that so that then began the phase of saying okay what else can we do to expand the game experience and I, and i really believe that this was where the beginning of our 200 billion dollar business is today and from that then we started to explore with electronics this is all pre video games and that is that we started to look at handheld games we started to understand that leaps and blips could really work well from a point of view of Uh, football games and we had a very popular game called Merlin which was a handheld game that allowed you to do puzzle type activities within the game and each of these different platform transitions also had a meaning in the game industry because they had different price points associated with them and higher price points you with same amount of sales generates bigger revenue so it was a bigger opportunity within the game industry and then along came Atari and Atari really changed the game industry forever uh because of the fact that it really showed that interactive entertainment could be a great experience even at the 2 bit and the 4 bit level those were fun games to be able to play and so then what happened from that point forward was was that hardware continued to advance and game designers continued to understand and reinterpret what the hardware capability was and more and more games started to come out so we started to see Sonic the Hedgehog we started to see Mario and these games all of a sudden had character development in in relation to the interactive entertainment and that then really spurred on the biggest change i believe in the industry and that was windows 95 and that all of a sudden made the computer a multimedia experience and so now between the video games and the pc games that are multimedia now the opportunity is just almost endless as it relates to what you can do and that's where the explosion really happened and from that point forward you know we've continued to see expansion in game platforms and then all of a sudden in the 2000s we saw mobile entertainment and what's been amazing about that platform is the fact that it is now 50% of the total game industry is now in the mobile entertainment area and a big reason for that is is that people need to have a phone that it becomes a game platform and interestingly enough and everybody in the world now has access to a game 
a, a game platform because of the mobile device. So to me, you know, it's just been, been continuing to grow in technology and creative design to be able to make the experience today that we have. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love what you have shared. You know, this is very, very insightful. Uh, guys, you know, please follow Mr. Dusenberry over LinkedIn uh, and, and please give him some love because, you know, this is, you know, this is so amazing because so insightful. And I'm learning so much, you know, as, as we're going ahead with this conversation. Now, now, since you spoke about handheld devices, you know, again, you know, I did some global gaming market research about consoles and other things. So the global gaming market share by device type in percentage. So the gaming console takes about 40 percent. Uh, computers takes about 30 percent and mobile and tablets uh, currently at 30 percent and expected to rise. GPU, CPU, game engine, hardwares uh, for gaming is also another gigantic market, you know, is working complementary to the gaming industry. So my question, you know, because you highlighted about plastic, which helped, uh, you know, with the innovation of plastic help you to get into 3D. And, and that's, you know, kind of one of the reasons why uh, a lot of boom happened. So now since, you know, we, we are seeing fossil fuels coming to an end and we see the technology being evolving, new introduction of 5G technology, cloud gaming and all those streaming services happening. So how do you think uh, the gaming industry will be evolving with the help of technology, with lack of resources like we used to have, especially plastic? And what would be the future? And do you think computer and gaming consoles will become obsolete at some point? I think that um, interactive entertainment uh, will continue to uh, explode. And a lot of that is because of streaming uh, and new ways to deliver content. And uh, so, you know, I, I'm very excited about, you know, how the game industry continues to evolve. I truly believe that although it may not be a game console specific device, game consoles will be critical because they're the interactive entertainment experience that the consumers are looking for. Although it may be embedded in a device that also offers streaming and social media and all kinds of other entertainment value uh, that the consumer is looking for. Um, so, so to me, you know, I, I don't see the console ever going away, but it may go away as it, we know it today. And the, I guess the one exception I would say to that would be Nintendo. And Nintendo has proven over the last 40 years that it can take its own path and its path always seems to be right. And so I find interestingly enough where people have you know, pretty much given up on Nintendo five, six years ago, Nintendo is probably one of the bigger uh, devices right now because it's got such a huge fan following and that fan following is very loyal to the Nintendo base. And I think that they like a Nintendo specific platform. Thank you. I, I appreciate you sharing that. You know, let's let's actually speak about and get to know more about your mantra, uh, mantra as we call it here in India. It's all about the fun. So could you define fun and why creating fun is so hard? And how do you spot and integrate fun into, you know, with innovation, basically? Yeah. So in all my years of experience in the game industry, there's one common thing in popular games, and that is they're fun. Uh, and you also find that, you know, most games don't, aren't able to deliver a repeat fun experience that allows the consumer to be able to engage and go deep into the game. 
So to me, what I've learned learned over the years is, is that my mantra really is it's all about the fun. And that means is that the focus on the consumer experience and make sure that that ex- consumer experience can endure itself to the point that it has to repeat itself over and over. So I kind of coined the phrase, the wow, wow factor. And so when I'm looking at innovation from a game point of view, I'm trying to base it on the wow, wow factor. And that is the first wow is, is that, hey, I got this new game, Tom, what do you think about it? And it's explained to me and I look at it briefly and I go, wow, that looks like fun. So that's kind of like the first test. But then I say, hey, let me play it and let me experience it. And if I play it and experience it and when I'm done, I go, wow, I'd like to play that again. It kind of passed the initial wow, wow factor and I'd like to take a deeper look into it. A lot of times, if you try to apply that wow, wow factor to innovation, you'll find out it doesn't hold up on the first wow or the second wow and you probably should start to spend your time in a different so to me, that's what you know. All it's it's all about the fun is about. And then I go on and say that one of the hardest things that I've ever come across is being able to identify and define fun. And so to me, it takes a very special design team and a very special group that is able to really work out and sort out the essence of what that fun is and have that secret sauce that's allowed it to separate itself from everybody else that then has builds an audience and has that audience say, I want to play this game over and over again. Absolutely. You know, this is this is phenomenal. I appreciate you sharing this, giving us more clarity on what fun means to you. And I, I want to encourage audience to raise their hands if you like to come and ask a question uh, to Mr. Dusenberry. Uh, we will be starting Q&A in about five to seven minutes. And welcome, you know, uh, America Supermom. She's a good friend of mine. You know, please continue to be on stage. Jose, Peggy, Bobby, Simon. Uh, Simon is a good friend from the marketing team listening to us on LinkedIn. Simon, you're welcome to come up. Divakar, sir, from the sales champion team thank you so much for your love and support you're welcome to come up and ask questions directly to mr dusenberry about the gaming industry or anything you have alexander uh wade tamir and mark and natasha and jen on clubhouse you know you guys are also welcome so you know let's me uh, deep down a little further now i want to speak about investment opportunities in the within the gaming industry because like, like you know as you know a lot of complementary businesses work along with games not just people who develop and publish it consoles cpu gpu stuff like that so and i have not really seen uh entrepreneurs or investors agent investors specifically speaking about investing on games or you know things with which uh you know part which includes the gaming industry as a whole so i would be interested in knowing what is your take on that uh how do you see the market and uh, would you mind educating some of my listeners on some of the possibilities when it comes to investment sure so Every game requires investment. So whether it's electronic arts or it's take two or any big company, they have to make a decision that they're going to invest in a game. So I look at investing as something that is just required no matter what the project is. But from a point of view of external investment, you know, there's different levels of investment depending on where you're at with your company and what your need is. So, you know, the, the first level is really the angel investor or friends and family, and they want to be committed with you to get you to the point that there's something that, you know, is tangible. 
But then after that, you know, you've got investors like angel investors. They are they are people that like to get in on an early stage of something. And primarily, what you find with angel investors is they like to be directly involved with the founder as well. So that's really important. And if you find the right angel investor who has money and they can contribute to your company, they can be really really positive. But then after you know you get past angel investing, you have to get to venture or equity investing. And that's where it's more of a like a professional type of an experience where you're giving up a big part of your company in return for a certain amount of capital. And for that capital, what they want to do is they want to grow that capital as well. So if they become partners with you in game business. So, you know, I find that investors are really critical to the success of the game industry. And depending on which level you're at and what your need is, there seems to be an investor solution for you. And what we find in the game industry is, is that there's a lot of professional game investors and there's a lot of non-professional game investors. And you kind of have to separate the two. A lot of times people read trends and they go, oh, the game sounds like it's a really great area, so I should invest in that. But they don't understand you know, what it really takes to be able to make a game company successful and they become a burden to the, to the founder versus a professional game investor they know what the process is. They know what they have to go through and they partner with you to be able to make the, the business happen and hopefully get to a successful result. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, is these investments classified into different categories? Uh, like, you know, I was just brainstorming on this and I could think of like, you know, hardware companies can be, uh, you know, a, a nice investment. And like, as you said, you know, you can invest on a publishing company such as yourself and uh, maybe you can invest on uh, franchises, gaming franchises. I don't know. What do you think, uh, Mr. Dusenberry? Yeah, I, I, it's a good question. I, uh, I just went to a Goldman Sachs uh, presentation on the game industry. And uh, they were talking primarily about esports and where the investment opportunity was from an from a esport perspective. And so my expectation was was that they would uh, find these up and coming esport companies, and that's who they would be touting as what the future was. But it was the exact opposite. What they were saying is, if you want to be an investor, you should invest in the big publisher companies because, from a point of view of what the business model is, they're the ones that are going to gain the biggest amount of what the revenues are and the biggest share of profitability. So that led me to say is, is that, you know, there's really two types of investors. There's the public company investors that really feel comfortable getting investing in a big company and getting, you know, whatever the company is. And then there's the other type of investor and they're willing to be more risk savvy and willing to take a risk with the potential of be having a much bigger upside potential if that product takes off. I'm with you 100%. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, Wade is sending kudos to you and everybody else. So it's actually time for Q&A. And before we start Q&A, so I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor. I'm going to play an ad. Please listen to it. And I think this, this is uh, pretty cool. Fast track your success by becoming a world-class communicator. My name is Jose Ucar. I'm a communication and public speaking coach and the founder of the World Class Communicator Program. If you pay close attention to the best communicators and most influential leaders out there, you will notice that they all have three things in common. A winning mindset, 
communication one-to-one -one skills, and public speaking. This is precisely how this online training course is laid out. The knowledge I provide in this training will enable you, amongst other things, to talk your way up the business ladder, become the influential leader people look up to, grow your personal brand and your business, deliver memorable and persuasive presentations, create enriching and long-lasting relationships, and much more. So, what do you say? Are you ready to become a world-class communicator? Join us today using this very special 75% off coupon. Just go to worldclass-communicator.com and enter JASON, all in capital letters, J-A-I-S-O-N. And I look forward to meeting you very soon. Lovely. Okay, that was Jose, whom you saw in the audience, uh, you know, just a while back. He had to leave. So I only do ads or sponsored ads from guests who has been on my show. I don't do ads anymore. Outsiders, you're not welcome. You have to be a guest on my show. Uh, I do make a small commission. I want to be very open whenever you make any purchase through this sponsored content. So moving to Q&A, I want to welcome Lachelle Adkins, America Supermom. So nice to see you. How are you? And do you have a question? Is there anything you'd like to contribute to this conversation? Well, thank you so much, Jason, for having me. And uh, I am the mother of 15 children. They are still on. So that's the background entertainment that you hear. <laughs> I think my question is, um, how have you been able to use the concepts of gamifying for your staff or other areas of your life. You know, I still have 10 kids at home and, you know, thinking about gamifying chores or certain things that could help me to connect with them better. So that's really uh, the basis for my question. And thank you for having me today. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. And, you know, to me, to, to me gamification comes down to two key things. One is a leaderboard, so you can compare yourself to others as to what whatever your task or assignment is. And the other is badges. And the I don't know. I don't know. The uh, the audio sounds a little choppy, Mr. Dusenberry. I hate to interrupt you. Uh, you know, uh, America Supermom, were you able to hear Mr. Dusenberry? It did kind of fade or something. Something changed. Okay. So, you know, Mr. Dusenberry, could you check just the microphone, just just to make sure? Yeah, I think I'm all set, Jason. Okay, all right. Let's let's go ahead. Let's you know, start again. I hope you got the question. Yes, and and so for me, gamification uh, could be great for your family, and that is that gamification really comes down to two key things. One is the leaderboard, and the other is the badges. So the idea behind the leaderboard is is to say, hey, I'm doing a certain task, and I accomplished a certain amount of time. Can you beat it? And so like in a game like Scrabble, it's, you know, I got so many points, how can you do, you play the game and get more points? So the leaderboard is very critical. But then equally important is this recognition for accomplishment. And that's where the badges really come to play. And maybe what you could do in your family, as an example, is, is that you set a badge, you have 12 badges for the year for the 12 different months. And as a child accomplishes something within that month, they get that badge. And, you know, at the end of the year, hopefully your children all of, you know, 12 badges, and if not, you know, they can look back and they can reflect and say, what could I have done different to be able to 
uh, make mom happy and to do this work she asked me to do. Great, great points. I love that. So um, thank you so much. Uh, I think a lot of us, even if you're thinking about as an adult in your staffing and uh, other areas of your life, you know, engaging people with something outside of whatever the project is and focusing more on the behavior seems like how that is uh, allows you to be more successful with accomplishing a lot of your missions. So thank you so much for that. I, I really appreciated the answer. Well, thank you. Well said. Awesome. 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 High five to Simon. Uh, thank you so much for joining this conversation. How are you? So nice to see you. And do you have a question? Yeah, hi, Jason. Anything you like to contribute? Go ahead, Simon. Yeah. Hi, Jason. Um, oh. oh, hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. We can hear you. You, you, you oh, placed yourself sorry. on oh, mute. Oh, how embarrassing. Sorry, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see the, uh, the green circle on the screen. Um, yeah, I'm really, really good, Jason. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year to you also. So nice to see you. Thank you. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I have a question. Um, I have a question for you, Tom. Wonderful uh, hearing what you've had to say about the gaming industry today. Um, my question is marketing related, and I'm just keen. I'm keen to gain your thoughts on how you feel uh, consumer preferences and behaviours, or the or the change. You know, is the consumer preferences and behaviours change regularly? And I just wonder how you feel that this change in behaviors are impacting the gaming industry? Uh, it's a great question. And I, I think that uh, you're right. Uh, habits and uh, change all the time. And it, it's no different than in the game business. And so if you're going to be in the game industry, you need to be able to keep up and be ahead of what those changes are and to be able to acknowledge them and to be able to make your game change and adjust accordingly. And, you know, in, in today's world, it, it's so different than it had been even 10 years ago when the game companies were always trying to introduce a new game every year for you to be able to, to play. Now what they do is they want you to stay in the franchise that you're in. So what they've learned to do is, is that they also understand what those trends and changes are, and then they try to make modifications in the game itself so that as you evolve in gameplay, it's also evolving towards the changes that, that, that society wants from a uh, habit point of view. No, sure, that makes uh, that makes sense. Just one other quick thing that, um, <laughs> it's funny, a question that's been burning on my mind. Um, how's the gaming industry adapting to business models such as free-to-play or subscription-based models? Do you feel this is something that will, you know, catch on? Yeah, I think that um, to, to me, you know, it depends on which genre you're in. But like in the mobile area, it's all free-to-play. And so, you know, if you play a mobile game right now, you're probably not spending a lot of money on it. But every time that ad comes up and you have to watch it or wait for it, the publisher is getting two cents for that. So, sure. so that that is a the vast majority of people are willing to wait and watch ads. But then that comes into the subscription model. And many people say, hey, I want to get, have a more immersive experience. I don't want all these different interruptions. So I'm happy to pay a subscription price and then to be able to have free gameplay as it relates to what the experience should be. 
So to me, I think that, you know, free to play is here uh, to stay. I think it's very viable. And uh, then, uh, but I also think that as players evolve, the subscription model becomes very attractive because I think it's a better experience. Oh, awesome. What can I say? Thank you ever so much, Tom. That was uh, really insightful. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. Awesome. Awesome. So, so Simon, you know, just in case if you guys have follow-up questions, please do not hesitate. I don't like to interrupt anybody who joins the stage. And if you are on stage, I would recommend you to be on stage because we have a rapid fire and trivia round, which involves all participants who join the conversation. So if you're comfortable, please be up. We're going to have yeah. some fun as Mr. Dusenberry calls it. It's all about the fun. So we're going to gamify the show a bit. So I want to welcome Wade. Uh, you know, this is the first time I'm noticing you. So just I wanted to highlight this is the show has been recorded. And by being on stage, you're giving us consent to be a part of the recording. So go ahead. Do you have a question? Is there anything you'd like to contribute to this conversation? Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Jason. Hello, Tom. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, Tom, my question is in it's kind of twofold as far as both in aspect of when you're looking to put together a team uh, for a specific project and also as far as when you're evaluating uh, a game how do you evaluate as far as the duplicatable uh, success that you've had in other uh, games to make sure that you know you're uh, ensuring the success of a game that you're you're just about to launch or, or put together as well as uh, the duplicate duplication of the success of the, the team that you've put together? Yeah, great question, Wayne. The, uh, you know, the game industry is a little bit different than other industries because the work that you uh, do in the past is always with you. And so when it comes down to, to picking the team, that's probably the most important thing that the CEO has to do because he's got to get a team that's aligned and compatible with one another. Mm -hmm. And what I find is, is that if you're brand new, you, you, it's a bit of a challenge and you have to kind of be a part of a team. But if you've been around the industry for five or plus years, probably the most important thing that you can do is to show the work that you've done. So if you've been associated with a game that's been successful, that is a good indication that you know what the elements and the challenges are to be able to get through that and to be able to bring a successful game to the marketplace. Whereas if you have somebody that you're looking at and they've been involved with seven or eight different games and none of them have really made it in the marketplace, something wasn't working. And that's kind of a red flag from my point of view. So mm -hmm. I do think that in addition to who the person is and what their personality is and what they say their education is, a lot of it is in proof of performance as it relates to what their situation has been in the past. So that is very, very important from a game design and a game development point of view. And as it relates to marketing, when, I, when I'm looking for marketing people, uh, I'm looking for people that are a little bit out of the box, to be honest with you. And, and the reason for that is, is that everybody can do traditional type marketing. Everybody can do traditional publishing. But what's that different differentiator that you can have that can really make your game successful? And it all goes back, Wade, to these two key issues in game. And that is, do you have a fun game and can you find an audience? And interestingly enough, they're, they're kind of, you know, the, the game, people that are developing the fun game, they need to interact with the people in the audience all the time. But those audience people need to be particularly focused on what is the genre, what is exciting about that game, and who is the audience that I can find and then bring them over to my game to enjoy it. 
Very good. Thank you so much. Thank Love you. that. Wait, do you have a follow-up question, Wade, before we move on? Yeah, as far as um, getting back to as far as the, the duplication aspect, as far as uh, what is it that you really find as far as when you're looking at or evaluating a, a game that's been brought to you, uh, how successful it could possibly be? Well, you know, other than the wow, wow factor, then, then it comes down to what genre are you looking at? So uh, a lot of times, you know, you have like the greatest game in the world, but it just is something that a game that uh, a game area that is not necessarily populated. That's a much bigger challenge than finding a game that's in a genre that is pretty successful that people can easily say, oh, I'm enjoying this game, but I'll try your new game because it's got something different to it. And then you've got a big audience and that big audience can, you know, lead to success. So the demographics and, and so forth come into a, a huge aspect in that in that area. Yeah, you know, it's amazing because when you think about the game industry, most people think it as a it's you know kids playing the games. But interesting statistic is the average age for females playing games is 44 years old, and the average male that's playing games is 35 years old. Hmm. So what that says is yes, the game the kids are definitely playing the games, but those kids that were playing games 20 years ago, they're still playing. And what women seem to love is casual games that are competitive, but more importantly, cooperative. And they like a community. They like to go in and play their hearts or they like to play bridge with other people because they feel comfortable there. And that sense of community is really important. Very good. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Wade. Thank you, Wade. Those are lovely questions. Uh, Simon and America Supermom, do you guys have any follow-up questions before we move on? Uh, you know, I love that part that he mentioned about the average age for women and men uh, with the gaming um, that they that they play for that age. But my question is, what components are in the game that uh, create the longevity of a player? So, you know, I just remember when I was uh, young, I played Pac-Man and... Um, games like centipede and i remember atari and things of that nature so what is it what element of the game makes it where it transcends time where you're always interested in that now i was a high performer in school so i don't know if maybe that has something to do with it as well level or you know with that session you say i know i could have done better and so you want to go back and you want to improve your score or you want to get to the next level. And I think that that's a key part of it is, is that it's always pushing you to see if you can go just a little bit further. So like I played a lot of Frogger in my day. And what I loved was that not only could I play Frogger from the point of view of getting all the different levels done, but then it was how quickly could I get through it, right? Could I find shortcuts, things like that? That had an endearing quality for me that kept bringing me back over and over to be able to play the game. Those little hooks like what's in Pac-Man that, you know, all of a sudden, yeah, I know I can get a better score brings you back over and over to be able to play that game. Makes sense because I still play solitaire, you know, like if I'm listening to conversations, I'll be playing solitaire and doing that in the background. So thank you. That was very insightful. Yeah, well, you know, interesting you say that because solitaire happens to be one of my favorite games as well. And if you were to ask me right now, what game am I playing? I'm playing Solitaire Harvest. 
And why? I don't know. I happened to be watching TV over the holiday and they did an advertisement and I said, what the heck? I would download it. Gosh, I'm addicted to the game right now. It's a different way to play the game. It's a different pattern. And it's got me really thinking, not this move, but two, three, four, five moves down the road. And I found it to be very intriguing. Now, who in the world would ever think that, that, I, that a guy like me could get excited about solitaire? But there's an example of a new version of a classic game that all of a sudden had a new set of rules to me that really excited me and had me playing. I'm going to have to check that out. I play uh, spider solitaire. So I haven't heard about the harvest, but yeah, I'm going <laughs> to check that out. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> Well, thank you. Maybe uh, I should invest in that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to, uh, you know, acknowledge Pushkaraj. You know, I am only inviting people who have been listening to the conversation uh, because, you know, people who have heard the conversation, they have a premise about the show and what we are discussing. Uh, so, you know, please join us. You know, we always live at 12 Eastern Standard Time every week. So I wanted to give uh, the microphone to Simon because I remember Simon had to say something. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you know what? I've Just a thought, Tom, because I'm a big gamer. I, I, I've, um, my God, I've been, I've been gaming since, you know, like the first Atari that come out to, or in fact, it was before then, it was the bat and ball. <laughs> on uh you know from a binatone console or something but um do you know what i'm really i'm interested in platforms like steam right now and if i had a question it would be um what's your take on some of like the indie game providers out there because there are lots of there are lots of providers that are using other people's platforms to develop their their own sort of um, genre of game or what have you. Um, how do you see these people? Do you see them as a threat? Do you think this is a great thing for the industry? When I say a threat, of course, I'm sure it is a great thing for the industry. But I mean, you know, do you feel that, um, you know, they could be a threat to the larger companies? Well, if they're a threat to larger companies, that's the larger company problem from my point of view. True, uh, true. I'm very much a fan of independent development. And the reason for that is, is that I think that it's a different path, but it's, it's a path that leads to many successful games, ultimately. And, and so when I look at Steam or, and, and I look at those other distribution models, what, what I see is, is that they're giving everybody a fair shake. And I, and I think that that's needs to work out for everybody and i also am now seeing that sony and xbox are beginning to deliver areas within their systems that allow independent game to publishers to be able to come as well and i do think that, that that's an important part of the market it's not you know a huge part of the market but it's where innovation and creativity can have freedom and i think that you need to allow that sure just one other thing. Um, uh, I know that, that some of these things are still in there. I wouldn't say infancy, but I, I don't feel that these things have become, you know, quite quite fully formed yet. But sort of things like virtual reality, um, you know, I mean, I obviously games have AI in them right now. But um, what's your take on the future of gaming? Do, do you feel that it will 
go more towards your augmented reality or your virtual reality? Well, I think the, the game industry uh, is, is very in a very good position. And that is, is that, you know, the game content and the game experience is better than ever. And what we're seeing is an evolution. And, and it's truly amazing. But now more people go to Twitch to watch people play games than actually play games. Sure. And, and that proposition is, is a big challenge. And why is that? And the answer is, is that why wouldn't you want to go see the best of the best play? And then what is happening within the game development is, is that the characters, uh, the gameplay patterns, the missions are so immersive and so robust that it's really fun to be able to watch. So that alone is an evolution from my perspective that you have as many game watchers as you have game players. And that then leads to where does it go from here? And I do believe that augmented reality, virtual reality and mixed reality will play an important role in games and other parts of life, but we're not there yet. And uh, I'm on the board of a mixed reality company that is doing very leading edge type things. And I love the demos, but when you get beyond the demo and you say, is it fun and how does it work? We haven't gotten that figured out yet. And to me, once we get past the wow of what the first experience is and we get into the immersive experience of uh, you know, being able to have your friend next to you and bringing all this stuff right into your interactive experience could be really, really good. But for me, at this stage, it's just not there. Yeah, I'm with you. Thank you ever so much, Tom. Um, once again, really insightful. Thank you. Thank Love. you, Simon. Lovely, Simon. Thank you so much, everyone, for, you know, those lovely questions. It's time for... Rapid fire questions for Mr. Dusenberry. So I'm going to ask a series of questions specifically focused on Mr. Dusenberry. Please answer them. And then I have a common questions, a few common questions for everybody else on stage. That would be like a trivia question. We want to test your game knowledge and see how much you know about games. Okay, very simple. If anybody is on the listening lounge who wants to participate, uh, you know, you're welcome to join when I start with the trivia round for everybody else. Okay, so call, so rapid fire questions for you, Mr. Dusenberry. In your opinion, which is the best gaming console which is out there? So uh, for mobile, it's iOS. And for game consoles, it's Nintendo. Okay, so Ni Nintendo is the best console out there which you personally like, right? All right, question number two. If video games did, didn't exist anymore in this world, if you know, if that thing didn't happen in 1973, what would you have done? What kind of career would you have shifted towards? Uh, I probably would have been in the toy industry instead of the game industry. Okay, lovely. Okay, uh, in a th another question. Uh, Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, and the difference between toys and games is very fundamental. And that is that games have rules and toys are free play. And I've always gravitated towards rules. And so I really feel at home in the game area. You know, that's actually a very good point. Toys are free to play. You can make your own, you know, rules, regulation and build around it. So, yeah, it makes sense. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, next question. What are you hoping... 
uh, for the 2023 E3 conference. I think it's going to be held on uh, June 13th, between June 13th and 16th, uh, okay, at LA Convention Center. So what are you hoping to see on this E3 conference? The, for me at this stage, E3 is all about uh, relationships and connecting with people. And uh, I can't wait for this June because we've missed the last two E3s because of the pandemic. So I have uh, very high hopes and very high expectations for E3, primarily to see uh, many friends and uh, personalities that I've known for many years. And then um, I'm always looking for the next new project. So if that comes along, that would be great as well. Lovely, lovely, lovely. And 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 before I, I move on, I wanted to just give a shout out to Peggy, whom you see down in the audience on, on LinkedIn. So, you know, guys, this is really cool. Peggy is actually a color anthropologist. I've actually never heard about this profession. And I've requested Peggy to be on my show. So she will be on my show either this season, if you have some availability or on season four, for sure. So I would highly encourage you to give some love to Peggy. Uh, you know, please give her a follow. She, she's super cool. So let's move on, uh, you know, with my next question, which will be your favorite game of all time, Mr. Dusenberry? Yeah, that's a great question. So if you don't mind, I'll answer from a, uh, from a traditional game point of view, I love the dice game Can't Stop. And uh, so it's probably been my favorite game of all time. But when it comes to video games, my favorite game is Frogger. Uh, I played it for many years. It continues to evolve, and I, and I really, really like that game. And from a PC game point of view, uh, okay, okay. So, you know, Frogger's was what exactly? Uh, was it a computer game? It was, a, uh, it was originally an Atari game, but then it was hugely successful on PlayStation. Okay. And what was the last one you said? Roller Coaster Tycoon. Oh, nice. All right. All right. All right. I appreciate this. So, Can't Stop, Dice Game, and then you said Froggers and Roller, Co Roller Coaster Tycoons. Okay, lovely. I appreciate you sharing it. So, so let's actually do trivia round. Okay, now this is for everyone else. So, uh, starting with America's Supermom, Simon and Wade. You have to promise me you're not going to Google this uh, while I'm going to ask you these questions, okay? So, <laughs> that's the rule. Okay, so what is the best-selling video game of all time? Okay, let's start with America's Supermom. Any idea or pass? Mario, I would say Mario. Not All right, not close, but not really. Okay, Simon, what about you? You're a game fan, so. Um. Oh my God, Space Invaders. No. Okay, Wade, how about you? <laughs> uh, it's been a little bit since I've I've played a game. To to be honest with you, uh, I was gonna say uh, Donkey Kong or, or Mario Brothers. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay so mario is not the one so mr dusenberry would you mind sharing it with the audience yes it's microsoft. Uh, we could not hear you yes it's minecraft yes 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 so it's minecraft. minecraft uh you know by microsoft that is one of the most best-selling video games of all time uh you know really kick ass Okay, question number two for everyone on stage. What was the first video game character to have a balloon featured uh, 
in Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Okay, and I'm going to start with America Supermom. Go ahead. The first video game character? Yeah, you know those big Mario. balloons I'm, on Thanksgiving? I don't know. I'm going to go back with Mario again. <laughs> okay, how about you, Simon? It's going to be one of those answers now. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, Donkey Kong. No. Okay, how about you, Evade? I was actually thinking uh, Pac-Man or uh, uh, Donkey Kong. All right, no, no, that's not that's not really the one. So, so Mr. Dusenberry, go ahead. Yes. So the uh, answer is you were you were on the wrong system because it was Sega and it was Sonic the Hedgehog who was in the Macy's Day Parade. There we go. <laughs> so, so Sonic the Hedgehog and 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 Mr. Dusenberry spoke about this during the interview as well. So it was sponsored by Sega. You know, thank you so much. And one last question for every participant: What's the what's the popular dining franchisee? Uh, you know, and is okay. Which popular dining franchisee is the founder of Atari responsible for? McDonald's. Mm. Okay, one at a time. Okay, America Super Mom. Oh, you said the dining, not yeah. the um, Rainforest Cafe. No, a popular dining franchisee. Uh, is the founder of Atari responsible for. So Atari has been featuring this dining franchisee, promoting and supporting it quite a lot. Any idea? Simon, how about you? Oh my God, I don't know. Wendy's? No. Hmm. It's either Burger King maybe or McDonald's. I don't know. <laughs> how about you Wade? i'm just thinking about the happy man right? <laughs> so, so so the the answer is the the founder of atari is nolan bushnell and in addition to creating atari he also created chuck e cheese chuck e cheese guys you know, and chuck e cheese you know it's the, it's the restaurant where you go in for your birthday parties and they have Know it well. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Ray. Are you saying something? Okay, I can't hear anything. I'm going to put you on mute uh, to avoid any back lag lags during the recording. Okay, so. So, Mr. Dusenberry, I have one other question, you know, before we move to the business side of things. You know, we all want to be remembered for a lot of things. Okay, what is that one thing you want to be remembered for? What kind of legacy would you like to live? Leave, not live, leave. Well, I hope that uh, people would look at me and think of me as an honest, honorable person. And I think that they would look at me and say, he lived up to his appetite, and that is, it's all about the fun. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. Okay, now let's actually hear about, uh, you know, Dusenberry Entertainment. Okay, could you help the audience understand, apart from, you know, creating something which is fun, uplifting, motivational, you know, interesting, exciting, entertaining, innovative, what is your company's vision? Where do you see uh, your brand heading in the future? Yeah, so Dusenberry Entertainment really is focused on three major areas. 
we do consulting. We also do strategic or board work, and then we really focus on innovation and creativity. So within that, um, you know, with the innovation and creativity, I, I create myself and invent myself, but I also like to collaborate with other inventors and creators to build things, make happen. And then I can either license out the idea to somebody or find a license that applies to the idea and bring it to it. So those are kind of what I do every single day. And then I also, when companies are either at a certain stage, they need strategic help, they need uh, relationship help, they need some type of consulting help. I'm there to be able to come in and be an extra hand on a strategic and a senior level uh, to be able to help that company get to the next phase of their business. That is super, super cool. Now, uh, would you mind sharing some of the recent projects and body of work which you were able, which your company was able to deliver in a maybe 2022 and what can we expect for 2023? Yeah, the, most of the work that I do is under uh, confidentiality, non-disclosure agreements. So a lot of the projects are, are work in progress. But uh, most recently, you know, I, uh, I finished a NASCAR business called NASCAR Heat, which was uh, in all five of the different systems. Uh, and that has met with great success in the marketplace. In fact, we sold that business to Motorsport Games. So that was a good exit for us. And then uh, I also uh, have recently gone in and I've worked with a toy company called Connect and created interactive entertainment experiences for them uh, that help them with their roller coaster product. So those are two of the initiatives that I do. And then I I'm also uh, on the board of a company uh, that does uh, global uh, uh, health through play. And uh, with this, uh, I, it's a yoga-based company. And it's interesting because we're taking the yoga experience with a very special character called She and creating an entire brand franchise. So for the first time, we're taking a commodity such as yo yoga and what we're doing is we're adding intellectual property to it and creating a platform. So it's more than just a mat. It's the mat and it's social media. It's a mobile device and it's apparel. So we really work on, you know, what, what is the opportunity to create a bigger sphere in the marketplace that creates more impact for the partners that we have and the consumers that want to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Would you mind sharing uh, with our listeners how they can reach out to you? What kind of potential businesses, uh, you know, can take advantage of your services? And I'm sure, you know, there is a price point associated to it. What businesses would you encourage reaching out to you and how they can reach out? Yeah, so Duesenberry Entertainment uh, can be found at www.duesenberryentertainment.com. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and so those would be the two primary access points and feel free to email me. And the, the type of projects that uh, I work on um, are projects that I stay in my lane. And that is that they have to have some type of game related to them. But because of my experience, I can almost solve any problem that the, the, uh, the game company has. So that's why I try to position myself as a one-stop solution in the marketplace. And I want you to do what you're best at. And then I want to help you what you're not best at to make sure that that is as powerful as what you are to maximize the opportunity and to make sure that you have the best shot possible to make your game successful awesome awesome if you are on linkedin guys the linkedin event page would have all the links to go through 
uh, you know, including uh, Mr. Dusenberry's website as well. You know, everything is listed on the event page on LinkedIn. If you're on Clubhouse, I have already shared the link. That is www.dusenberryentertainment.com. Uh, please reach out if you are a business who are into games and if you need uh, you know, Mr. Dusenberry's help, his, com his company's help to produce something exciting and interesting. So we're going to wrap up the show. And before we wrap it up, I wanted to give you the opportunity, Mr. Dusenberry. Uh, is there anything you want people to take away? One final thing you want people to take away from this conversation? What would that be? Well, I think the, the, the message is, is that uh, the games industry is here to stay and is big and getting bigger. And it's a, it's a very, very vast, very, very exciting opportunity for people that have the heart to be able to do it. And all I can say is, is that I repeat over and over is, is that focus on one thing, and that is it's all about the fun. Absolutely. I love this. I love this a lot. And I hope everybody enjoyed this interview. I hope this was insightful. I hope it gives you an idea and an overview about the gaming industry. And you are such an incredible uh, guest, Mr. Dusenberry. I've learned so much uh, within the past, you know, one and a half hour uh, conversation we just had right now so i wanted to quickly give you guys a heads up on uh, next week's show so next week's show i'm going to be doing this on january 11th so we are pretty close to the end of season three i'm i'm trying to wrap up the whole season by or before march 1st of 2023 post which uh, i'm going to be taking a 45 day break to relax and to find new interesting guests for season four. So mostly mid-April or end of April, I'm planning to start season four with another 20 to 25 odd guests, you know, who will be on my show speaking about interesting topics. I want to also make another announcement that uh, if you want to be a part uh, of season four, there is actually a wait list. Uh, I have a specific link which enables you to join the waitlist. The benefit is that you should be an entrepreneur and it doesn't matter how big or small your business is. Any, anybody is welcome as long as you can speak uh, about a specific topic and you know educate my listeners about something. Uh, we will be discussing so dm me on linkedin clubhouse instagram twitter wherever you are and i should be able to send you this exclusive link so that you can join the waitlist and uh, the next week's show which i was just highlighting just a while back so it's uh, by dr amanda fu raylan and uh, she will be speaking about the neural coding experience i'm kind of new to this whole subject i think it's a part of nlp so Dr. Amanda will speak on neural coding, which can be used to learn, win and behaviors of top achievers and then create a blueprint for unlimited success. Uh, so please tune in next week, January 11th, uh, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9 uh, a.m. PST. I also have all the links to the time zone difference on the event page itself. You should be able to find this event on my LinkedIn featured profile section uh, with the image of my guest. So on that note, uh, you know, is there anything else, Mr. Dusenberry, you'd like to share before we, you know, close? No, I'm good. Thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. So guys, you take care of yourself. 
have a lovely morning evening afternoon wherever you are in the world uh, please stay in touch sending good vibes to each and everyone and please follow the show give it a like please give it a review too